This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us again. Well, as you know, we have been talking a lot recently about the goings-on in the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's because a lot has been going on in the nation's largest evangelical denomination. We have talked about the recent annual meeting and the plagiarism and heresy scandals embroiling the new SBC president, Ed Litton. But of course, prior to all of this, the biggest SBC news was that the front man of the denomination's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Dr. Russell Moore, resigned after about eight years of causing continued controversy with his leftist activism and his nonstop condescension toward conservative Christians. Wouldn't it be nice if the next head of the ERLC turned out to be a smart, conservative, Bible-believing man who knows and loves Jesus Christ and loves the United States and has a long history of Christian service and accomplishment in apologetics and leading a seminary and all kinds of other things. And best of all, he'd serve in that position pro bono for the first year. What a deal. Well, such a man has emerged. My friend, Christian apologist, evangelist, author, and worldview cultural expert, Dr. Alex McFarland, who is founder and president of Truth for a New Generation. And Alex, you are prepared to run the ERLC for no salary for a year. I, I think that's a deal too good to turn down. Have they taken you up on it yet? Oh, well, God bless you, Janet. And by the way, thanks for having me on. It's always a great honor. Sure. I have such an appreciation for you and your family and Anytime you and I can uh, get on air and solve world problems, that's always <laughs> something that I like to do. But, uh, yeah, you know, Jenna, I, I do want to talk about uh, ERLC, but, um, you know, I came to the Lord through a Southern Baptist church. I was raised Presbyterian in North Carolina, and uh, I, I didn't know the Lord personally till I was in college, and I do care deeply for the Southern Baptist denomination because they they literally reached out to me. I was in a church, and I, I found myself through the Southern Baptist Church, Janet. I, I, I got saved, grew as a young believer in my 20s. I felt the call to ministry. I was discipled. I was ordained. I uh, found the woman I would marry in a Southern Baptist church. So... Over the last few years, Janet, um, I, I've watched this great denomination sort of uh, adrift, not only at the, I believe, um, in, in a lot of ways, but with the ERLC, you know, everybody's talking about the vacancy with the departure of Russell Moore to Christianity Today. And so I was in an interview last week, and I said, look, I would love to lead this, and it won't cost them a penny. And so... Uh, you know, thank you for having me on to talk about this. But um, yeah, I'm prepared. I'll I'll give a thousand and ten percent, and I can uh, 
pretty much guarantee that intellectually and financially for the denomination, it could be a net positive. Well, I think that's fantastic. Uh, We have had a problem, I would argue, with the head of the ERLC for the better part of the last decade, and it's time to move in a better direction. What would you tout as your accomplishments and your qualifications for that job if they actually came back and said, you want the job for sure? What what would you bring to the ERLC? (laughs) Well, yeah, I've had quite a number of pastors call me up and they'll say, I heard you say in an interview that you would love to lead the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and you would do it pro bono. Uh, So I know this is on the radar screen of a lot of pastors. Um, Now, whether or not any decision makers or gatekeepers get wind of this and then act on it, uh, only the Lord knows. But... Janet, uh, here's the thing for those that may be unaware. The ERLC is kind of a think tank within the Southern Baptist denomination, which is the the country's largest Protestant denomination. And within the SBC, there have been a lot of schools and agencies and uh, departments, ostensibly all with the goal of contributing to Christ's Great Commission. Uh, ERLC appeals to me, Janet, because it deals with worldview. Now, what, what it should do is to equip the entire body of Southern Baptists to think biblically and empower and mobilize the denomination to make a difference. And we've got so many issues from wokeness to our loss of a, a moral compass, human sexuality, transgenderism, pluralism, uh, socialism versus our Uh, Judeo-Christian capitalist representative republic. So, Janet, let me just say, uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, okay, we've abandoned ethics, we're about to lose our religious liberty, and we Christians have the Great Commission. So there's, there's a lot in that name, but what I would do if, by some miracle of God, I became the chair, which I'm offering myself to do, is to uh, try to restore, for one thing, uh, among the thousands of pastors and leaders who influence their parishioners to support and give, I would try to restore confidence that they can trust ERLC to be a consistently biblical voice. I would, uh, not only with my own pen and paper, but with the hundreds of conservative Christian biblical scholars I know, we would, in a very timely way, give the biblical response to the issues in the news to inspire people to stay informed and to give people uh, the the uh, information they need to know how to pray for our country. So uh, inspire confidence, unify, uh, also equip people to think biblically, to speak biblically, to serve. And one other thing, Janet, that um, we need to always be in prayer for, you know, Jesus said, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. We have got to inspire a young generation about the things of God. Yes. And within the Baptist world, uh, well, to quote a Methodist, by the way, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said the local church deserves the highest scholarship that the church can offer. Mm-hmm. And so I want the Southern Baptist, and ERLC should lead out in this, 
I want the Southern Baptists to be prepared to think biblically, to have cultural discernment, and to be able to confidently and fruitfully share the faith in any situation. So through our press office, through the seminars that I do, I've led, well, I've spoken in more than 2,000 American churches, about 50% of which are Baptists, but I, I have led 47 previous citywide conferences with attendance from a low of 550 to a high of 8,000 people, I would immediately uh, start ERLC briefings all around the nation. (laughs) And believe me, I've got the network. I mean, I give God the glory. I've got 571,000 social media followers. Uh, we, We want to touch all people, of course, but especially the Baptist Church. And why, why this offer, you know, this, this wingnut out of North Carolina who <laughs> wants to lead the ERLC, why pastors probably, and the denominational hierarchy, really ought to take me up on it. For one thing, I'll do it pro bono, but the other thing is something the previous administration has dearly cost the denomination is giving to the cooperative program. Yes. I will... Uh, Assuming that I have the latitude to help the denomination as their think tank leader, I will make sure that pastors, now with restored hope in the theological integrity of the denomination, I will urge pastors to give Mm -hmm. to the cooperative program. But uh, as long as they go down the path of wokeness, Denominational leaders, executive committee, I can promise you, your financial support will dry up because the local parishioners and shepherds, they're not stupid. Yep. They're, they're not going to give their money to a denomination that at best ignores and at worst denigrates their views and their wishes. Well, Alex, I'll tell you what, speaking of leadership and ethics... It's a good segue into what else I want to discuss with you when we come back. Alex McFarland, my guest, will come back, as I said, on Janet Mefford today right after this break. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. 
Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. We have talked quite a bit this week about the Southern Baptist Convention. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, we have talked an awful lot because there's been so much news coming after, uh, out of, I should say, the nation's largest Protestant denomination. And that does affect the rest of the body of Christ in America because the Southern Baptists do hold such an important place in American Protestantism and evangelical circles. Alex McFarland is with me, founder and president of Truth for a New Generation. He's offering to take the helm at the ERLC uh, by the vacated Dr. Russell Moore, who's headed off to brighter pastures or at least more woke pastures over at Christianity Today. And Alex was sharing some of his reasons why he would like to be in that position. But, you know, more broadly speaking, Alex, and I know people are saying, oh, you're, you're just joking. I don't think you're joking. I think if you actually were offered that position, you would do it. And I think God bless you if you are able to pull that off because we need you there. But, you know, I want to ask you, speaking of ethics. Can we talk ethics? Because we have been talking this week quite a bit about Ed Litton, the newly elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's embroiled now in this heresy scandal, having put the heresy of partialism, talking about God as three co-equal parts on his website. When he was called out on the floor of the convention, he changed his website, never said a word about it, and then just kind of brushed it aside. Now he's embroiled in a horrendous plagiarism scandal. The you know We haven't seen this since Mark Driscoll and my little foray back in 2013. I, I was just yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, of course, I'm very, very interested in this. But but one other thing I wanted to mention, because this is the latest thing, the church had put out a statement, Redemption Church, from which Ed Litton hails. His elders had put out a statement on the 28th that said they took down his sermon series before the year 2020, quote, because people were going through sermons in an attempt to discredit and malign our pastor. Well, first of all, if your pastor is on the up and up, you don't have anything to fear from anybody going through your sermons. But then Mr. Litton himself told the Washington Times that Redemption Church had removed dozens of his old sermons from its website because of a transition in web hosting and to conserve disk space stating the older messages remain available on YouTube, which isn't true, by the way. So now, once Mm. again, we're getting these mixed messages. He's on tape, on a video now, saying that he's lied about the hours that he's put into sermon preparation. Just talked about it flat out in an interview. You know, I lied about how long it takes me to prepare sermons. What of the state of ethics among SBC leaders, at least in the case of Ed Litton? Do you believe that he is someone who should remain at the helm of the Southern Baptist Convention? Oh, wow. You know, I, I have to confess, I don't really know that much about him, uh, but uh, what's hitting the news on an almost hourly basis um, <laughs> is not good. No. Uh, you know, a month ago, I, I d- didn't know who he was, and I know he won by a 52% margin. So, you know, to win by 
two to three percentage points, that's not really a mandate. I, um, you know, um, I was not a messenger at the convention because I was elsewhere in the country. I would, had I been there, had I been a messenger, I would have voted for Mike Stone. I interviewed Mike Stone, mm-hmm. who was a candidate, and he is conservative and, uh, you know, not woke. And so while uh, I didn't know who Ed Litton was, what I could discern about him, um, he wouldn't necessarily have been my choice. Now, that being the case, let me just say this. Leaders unify. And uh, I, I think if he does stay on as president, he has the potential to be every bit as divisive as like Russell Moore was when uh, Moore led ERLC. And I, I want to say this, Janet, very often nowadays, when those of us who really do believe the Word of God and we stand for the Bible and we 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 love all people, we will reach out to anybody, but we will not compromise on the Word of God. And I, I don't think that as Christians, our assignment is to placate sinners. I think we are to love people, but... Um, we don't have to. Uh, we don't have to kowtow to the lost world. We are to stand for truth and let the Spirit of God work in the lives of people. And I really get nervous whenever people take a posture of, uh, well, you know, if you stand for truth, you're not being loving, or you're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, whatever. Um, you're, you're not. Um, you know, caring about people. I let me just say this: I've uh, was on a panel about human sexuality, and I've had more than a few millennials say, "You know, why does the church think they have the right to hate gay people?" And you know, I've been in a couple of thousand churches with a lot of the most conservative people you'd ever meet. I've never met anybody in church that hated, quote-unquote, people. No. And just because we speak truth doesn't mean we're being hateful. Now, that being said, this is not a time to be a denomination that um, panders or soft-pedals anything. We need to proclaim, as you have done from your radio mic so faithfully, Janet, we need to say, look, Yes, God loves you, but God is a holy, righteous God. The window of opportunity in which a person can repent and turn to Jesus is very brief. And our nation is dying because we're not having the courage and the temerity to proclaim truth to this carnal world. Now, that being said, it doesn't surprise me um I'm disappointed for this for this man, Ed Litton, because, you know, I, if, if he were the SBC president or if he stays on, you know, to the degree that he'll be faithful to the Word of God and equip us to win the lost, I would support his presidency and I want him to succeed. I don't want him to fail or hurt uh, or, or be hurt, but so many people that lean left, um, it it turns out that, you know, they've been 
a little less than circumspect with their own ethics. (laughs) That's one way of saying Uh, it. I I get to say that, Alex. As the next head of the ERLC, you have to be a little bit more circumspect in how you phrase things. But no, you're you're completely right on all that you have said. And it's funny because when you were mentioning John Wesley and you think back to the uh, 1729 gathering, his club, the Holy Club at Oxford. yeah. Yeah, and they had these questions that they would ask club members to examine themselves to see whether or not they were following the Lord appropriately. And one of those questions was, am I honest in all my acts and words or do I exaggerate? Number four, can I be trusted? Number seven, did the Bible live in me today? I think one of the things that is really troubling to a lot of rank and file Christians these days, not just Southern Baptists, Alex, is we want to see godliness in our leaders. We have had so many scandals just in the last decade of famous Christians, famous Christian pastors, famous Christian theologians, and people are weary of it. They just want real Christians who are living a godly Christian life, being the ones who are leading them, whether it's pastors in the pulpit or denominational leaders. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the importance of godliness and holiness exhibited by the people who are going to be leading Christians uh, just as a matter of not only pleasing the Lord, but also being an appropriate response for any Christian who is claiming to represent Jesus Christ. It's just, people are really at the ends of their ropes, it would seem, Alex, over this issue of a lack of godliness and a lack of repentance when it is required. Exactly. uh, Janet, thank you for saying that. You know, in John 15, 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. Now, uh, Luke 6, 46, I just remembered this scripture. Jesus asked a rhetorical question. Now, a rhetorical question is one in which the answer is very obvious. Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? That's right. That's a great question. I love that. And Yeah, and one of the things that young people in survey after survey, they say that they, in adults and leaders and educators and, yes, clergy, they want authenticity. And so the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, Even in pastoral circles, folks, hate to break it to you, here's a bombshell Pastors and Christian speakers have ego, and everybody wants to post that new blog article and write that next book. And, you know, uh, whenever I go to NRB, Janet, and that's where uh, you and Charlie and I were last week, and a lot of people would go to this convention of broadcasters, um, are you ever conflicted there, Janet? I am. When, I, when I'm at NRB, <laughs> yes. and, and I'm with all those broadcasters and all those writers, and I'm, I'm in that machine, too, yeah. do, do you, are you con- conflicted within yourself, Janet? All the there? time. All the time. Because I think back, I was just discussing this with my husband, in fact. I said, Keith Green, the Christian singer who died in the early 80s in a plane crash, had such an impact right. on me as such as a young Christian in talking about how hard it was for him to say, I'm singing about Jesus, I'm promoting Jesus, I'm promoting the gospel, but at the same time, up on the stage as a singer, I'm promoting myself, and that feels wrong. And 
Yes. I never forget that. And that it's it, I think any Christian who has any kind of platform struggles with that. And yet you think about Isaiah six, seraphim standing before the throne and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the response from Isaiah is, woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. That's all of us. So I think that's actually a good sign because it will keep you from yes. becoming too full of yourself and thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, as scripture tells us. Yes. Alex, you know what? We have to end it there, unfortunately. I hate that we have to end it, but you know, God bless you and your bid to head up the ERLC. I'd support you. Thanks so much for being with us. God bless you. I'm praying for you. Thank you. I'll pray for you too, Alex. Thank you. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Just recently, the Supreme Court upheld Obamacare, saying that Texas and other states involved in the challenge to overturn the Affordable Care Act lacked standing because they could not prove immeasurable harm from the law. So it looks like we're stuck with this disastrous law, despite more than 70 tries at repealing it in Congress and 2,000 attempts to invalidate the law in court. Incredible. And the Biden administration is now moving forward on plans to further strengthen Obamacare, with a public option being just one of the plans in play. What is the future for Americans and their pocketbooks and their consciences related to this whole issue of health care as we go forward? We're going to get some thoughts on it now from Matt Bellis, Chief Communications Officer for Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit health care sharing ministry. Matt, welcome. Good to have you here again. Oh, thanks for having me. What are your thoughts on this recent Supreme Court decision about Obamacare? I mean, you don't have to get into the legal weeds, obviously, but it seems anytime people are trying to go to court and challenge this law, it just doesn't seem to be working. And more and more Americans are saying it's probably here to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. Well, it's very, uh, very used to that type of behavior from the Supreme Court. Uh, one Supreme Court rarely overturns any types of uh, challenges that it had seen before. Uh, they made that ruling a long time ago, back in 2012, yeah. uh, where John Roberts upheld the ACA, saying, "Yeah, it is a tax, and uh, the the uh, individual mandate is is there, and so if the legislature wants to do something and turn it over, that's that's their prerogative. But you know, the court sees no problem with it." So any kind of challenge to this uh, is probably going to be met with the same type of experience. One court from one to another is not really going to overturn it unless they see a large objectionable constitutional issue. And uh, we, we unfortunately just don't have that uh, and it pertains to these kinds of cases. Right. Now, you and I and others may have a different point of view. Uh, we may look at it and say this is uh, uh, obvious to us, but you know, how our legal structure is, is situated, uh, they're just not going to see that. So that's why we individually need to do the hard work of, of looking at our options, looking at what is available to us, making the decisions on our own and being free to do so. 
and uh, act accordingly to our will and our conscience to say uh, we're going to do health care differently individually, uh, regardless of what the, uh, the, the government, the courts, or the legislature have to say. We have the right and ability to do health care on our terms rather than just waiting on a governmental body to make that decision for us. Well, you're right. Now, Liberty Health Share, I know, was allowed to operate under Obamacare from the beginning. There was that carve out, which is kind of amazing. And I know that's a wonderful thing for people who are finding this alternative way of covering their health care costs. How do you see that carve out now in terms of being good for people who really want to save money and to be able to pay their bills, their medical bills, without having to violate their consciences? Well, it really was a recognition, and I have to say it was uh, Senator Max Baucus who uh, put that into the law, who actually saw it as a positive for individuals saying, we're not overloading the system, we're taking care of health care dollars on our own, we're managing those bills within our community, so, uh, so thanks but no thanks. And it was the senator who said, yeah, we should allow these health care sharing ministries uh, to continue unabated uh, because they are helping their communities. And so uh, having that ability, uh, we were there before the, the law was put in place. We'll be there afterwards as health care sharing ministries. Uh, but we're glad that we're able to exercise our constitutional rights uh, to live according to our conscience, to be in a community of like-minded people who want to share uh, as a part of their faith and their conscience. So it really is a, a wonderful recognition of the rights that people have to be able to exercise their faith in healthcare in community with other like-minded people to share those medical bills with one another. So uh, glad that it's here. We do hope that it might have been under different circumstances, but unfortunately, here we are. Well, yeah. Now, one of the things I know that you've said, uh, particularly on your website, is talking about how the members commit to five statements covering belief in God and freedom and ethics. And that raises a question, I think, for a lot of people for whom Liberty HealthShare is a new concept. When you're talking about protecting the consciences of your members, what sorts of issues come up pertaining to protecting the consciences, especially of Christians who join with Liberty HealthShare to get their medical costs paid? Well, we as individuals uh, within Liberty HealthShare do have that set of shared beliefs that we abide by. But along with that belief and understanding that we're coming from a Christian worldview, we view things of conscience, such as life, uh, as a very sacred thing. So we see life as beginning at conception and ending at natural death. Uh, and so we want to protect and live accordingly to those beliefs and not let our dollars, our health care dollars, be used and hijacked by systems that would go and pay for things that would violate our conscience. A lot of people don't realize that under the current laws, uh, and I would suggest that people do this within their own homework and state, to find out where their health care dollars are actually being utilized. Hmm. A lot of states are taking those dollars and putting them towards things like abortions and abortive fashions yeah. uh, or other uh, high-risk things that they would not do themselves. So really, it does behoove people to understand fully where their money is going to be good stewards of their money. And if it is something that is laid on their conscience, that they want to ensure that their money is not going towards those things 
that would be problematic for them, that they join a health care sharing ministry like Liberty HealthShare that promises to never utilize member-sharing dollars towards life-ending procedures uh, such as abortions. Well, that's an important thing for a lot of people, and I know that's why you have so many people wanting to join up and and actually joining up. When you are involved and enrolled in one of your medical cost-sharing programs, Matt, I know one of the things that is of advantage to members is that you are able to pray for people, fellow members in need, sending them notes of encouragement, praying for them, because your uh, money is actually assigned to another member in need. That's how it works. Can you give us a little short overview of of the system and how it actually goes when you sign up? Well, within our back-end systems, within Liberty HealthShare, each member gets what's called a share box. And within that share box, we have a number of ways that you can manage your Liberty HealthShare membership. But we have within share box a prayer box where you can go request prayer or let others know that you are praying for them uh, to to build in that spiritual aspect of a community. It's good to know that while we're going through some of the most troubling times in our lives, there are members on the other side of the country who are thinking about us, praying for us, uh, and, and administering themselves uh, to, to, to working on our behalf. Uh, and it's just such a good uh, notion and feeling to know that our community is coming together for not only our financial needs, but spiritual needs as well. Well, that's important. So when people go to the website, libertyhealthshare.org, what kinds of information can they get there, Matt? What sorts of questions can they find answered when they go over there? Well, just because we had been talking about it, I would suggest that people go on and look at our shared beliefs. Look at the fact that uh, you can join our community and check if you qualify. Look at the beliefs that we all agree to and adhere to and make sure that you align with that. Do a little bit of the homework to understand what this community is all about, because when it comes to this community, uh, we are uh, uh, all unto our own. We, we do things a little bit differently. So if it's not uh, something that you're into, <laughs> then by all means, we want to let you know ahead of time. But if it is something that really does speak to you, tells you about the freedom that you can have in healthcare again, and how you can live out your faith in healthcare, we're here for you, and we're ready to accept you as a member. Well, I think that's fair enough. LibertyHealthShare.org, again, is the website. You can check them out, all the questions that you have. You can find answers to right there at LibertyHealthShare.org. Matt Bellis visiting with us. Always nice to talk to you, Matt. Thanks again for being here. Wonderful to talk to you as well. Thanks. All right. You take care. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people and, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger, or especially hunger, is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa, on average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. 
uh, the church had about um, about 100 people and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. You can be the answer to a Bibleless believer praying for God's Word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I don't know how much time you spend on social media. I am trying to spend as little time there as possible. This is why I deleted my accounts after all. But sometimes I end up there because it's a way to find out what's going on. So I see things on social media. And I saw this particular thing, and it really irritated me for a number of reasons. And I'm going to outline why. Matthew West is a contemporary Christian singer. He's a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter. And he came out with this new song, you might have heard about this, called Modest is Hottest. Now, you might have heard that phrase before. Sometimes people will use that. I don't know what the origins are of that particular phrase, but it's meant to convey the idea that you should dress dress modestly as a Christian, not because you're trying to be legalistic, but because we know what the Bible says and how we are to adorn ourselves in an appropriate way, especially as women. The Bible talks about that and that this was supposed to be a lighthearted take on that particular issue, according to Matthew West, because he's the dad of two daughters. Now, I'm going to play a couple of little excerpts of this song that has all of a sudden become incredibly controversial. So let's listen first to cut one. Modest is hottest, the latest fashion trend is a little more Amish, a little less Kardashian. What the boys really love is a turtleneck and a sensible pair of slacks. Honey, modest is hottest. Sincerely, your dad. Were you offended by that? I have girls. I have a boy as well, but I have girls. I'm not offended by that. I agree with that. I think it's kind of a cute way of conveying the truth that if you have daughters or any woman who might be in your life, you don't want them to dress like a Kardashian. I don't know why that would possibly be controversial, but in the world of social media, you have some people who are never happy, never pleased. They're all upset about it. Let me play a little bit more of this song from Matthew West, Modest is Hottest. This is cut two. If I catch you doing dances on the TikTok in a crop top, so help me God, you'll be grounded till the world stops. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Again, cute. It's cute. And anybody who has daughters can relate to this, right? If you're a Christian, you understand completely what this father is talking about. And that is the fact that you want your daughters 
to be modest. You don't want your daughter to be a Kardashian. You don't want your daughter to be out there and showing a lot of skin and trying to be one of those influencers who gets attention because she doesn't wear many clothes or wears inappropriate clothes. To me, this is just a no-brainer because we know what scripture says about modesty and the appropriateness of wearing clothing that is befitting a Christian girl or a Christian woman. We know all these passages. And yet here he gets this pushback. There's a singer songwriter. I've never even heard of this person. Maybe this person is completely famous and I just am out of it. Audrey Assad took to social media and this is what she wrote. Modest is hottest still entirely centers men and their preferences in the way a woman should dress Sets up being hot is the goal for women. What? And positions all men as creeps who can't handle seeing a woman's skin without becoming out of control monsters. It's demeaning to men and women. I really hate this phrase. And somehow it is the one cockroach that survives literally everything. What is the argument? And there were a number of people who were just all up in arms about this. Oh, this is so terrible. In fact, I'll read another couple of comments. There was another one from someone named Joe Lumen who said modest is hottest is a grooming narrative to get women to accept that they are sex objects that exist for the approval, pleasure, and entertainment of men. Therefore, it is also a way to normalize predatory behavior in men and avoid accountability when they abuse women. It's completely backwards. What are you talking about? When you're talking about the importance of modesty, what you're trying to convey to a young girl is... Don't show everything. Have some decorum and dress appropriately. And it's not, I've never heard it conveyed in terms of if you wear that shirt, some boy will go crazy and attack you. I've never heard anybody talking like that. I'm not saying anybody, you know, out there who's heard that is lying, but how is it normalized in predatory behavior? Telling a girl to dress appropriately is trying to protect her, not trying to help predatory natures of men become inflamed. And I'm a little tired, and I think I can get away with saying this as someone who happens to be female. This idea that these leftist feminist type women getting all up in arms that if you tell a girl that she shouldn't dress in a trashy way, that you are blaming men's reaction on her. This is what I have to say to this. If you were walking down the street at midnight... And you had to walk down the street at midnight, maybe in some urban area that isn't so safe, a particular neighborhood. I don't know why you'd be doing this. Maybe you're walking back to your car or something like that. Do you think you would attract more attention if you were dressed in a trench coat or if you were dressed like a Kardashian going to the Met? I mean, we all know, women know this. You know, we, we love clothes generally and girls who are out there on TikTok or Instagram dressing like that. They know what they're doing. They're trying to get attention. And that is really going back to what scripture says about the fact that we are not supposed to be like that as Christian women. We're supposed to not be all about the jewels and about all of the attractive clothing. Nothing wrong with being attractive, clearly, but that, that, you know, you should have an appropriate outward appearance that is befitting what is inside you, which is the Holy Spirit. And we are to live as if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, which, by the way, we do. This idea that, oh, it's all the women's fault. It's not the women's fault, but you got to be wise, too. I, it just bugs me. And this guy, Kyle Howard, he always comes out on Twitter. He's very, 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 very woke. 
But he said, I wasn't going to say anything, but I think it's important for men and brothers to speak up because women shouldn't have to carry the burden of calling out viral misogyny in the church alone. Modest is hottest is a misogynistic and even toxic phrasing concept. No, it's not. No, it's not. And guess what happened? Matthew West pulled the video off the Internet. Why are you giving any of these people the time of day, much less making decisions about your video based on what these people are saying? Who cares what Kyle J. Howard says? Who cares what these people say? These singer-songwriters, these angry women who are just offended by everything. Everything is misogynistic. Everything is enabling predatory behavior in men. You know, if you're triggered by everything, how are you going to live in this world? I understand that there are sore spots for a lot of women who might have suffered sexual abuse and, you know, here and there, somebody might make a comment and it sets them off. But you can't live your life in public worrying about stepping on the toes of every single person who's overly sensitive about every single subject. You can't operate that way. So this is the statement that Matthew West put out. He said, I'm blessed to be the father of two amazing daughters. I wrote a song poking fun at myself for being an overprotective dad, and my family thought it was funny. The song was created as satire, and I realized that some people did not receive it as it was intended. I've taken the feedback to heart. The last thing I want is to distract from the real reason why I make music, to spread a message of hope and love to the world. I I just don't understand why you have to say that other than this is the way it goes now. You have to do this. You have to respond to the hordes on Twitter or the hordes on social media, other places, because they're mad. Some some anonymous person who has a Twitter account is upset. You know what? I have been in this game long enough to know, at least from a radio perspective, that if you're the front page news tomorrow, just wait around because tomorrow someone else will be on the front page. Some They'll be going after somebody else. Someone else will have taken your place during their days of rage on Tuesday as opposed to their days of rage on Monday. I just hate to see this sort of thing because honestly, I think that this is important. I think this is a good message to send young girls. You know, that your, your dad cares about you and he's kind of saying in, a, in an off-the-cuff way, you know, Be modest. I'm your dad. I want to protect you. And yeah, it's kind of satirical, but there's truth in it. And I don't see why we want to always move away from what is common sense. Of course, dads should protect their daughters. Of course, we should teach our daughters to dress modestly. doesn't mean they can't be pretty, but when this becomes controversial, but you can have what goes on at the Grammys and some MTV video awards and even the Super Bowl halftime where you have all these famous singers who are women who are dressed like the Kardashians look modest compared to how some of these women are dressing on these shows. That's fine. That's completely fine. That's not controversial at all. What's controversial is when a Christian dad says, I want to encourage modesty in my girls. That's controversial. I think there comes a time when the pushback necessitates pushback. And to stand up and to say, I'm not going to apologize for this. You don't have to buy my album if you don't want to. You don't have to watch my video. But there's no misogyny in it. I was just having some fun with the phrase and trying to convey a message to my girls that I love them and they should dress appropriately. Big deal. He really should not have taken this step, in my opinion. But who knows? Maybe the record company told him to do it. Sad, isn't it? You can't just express yourself as a caring father in a fun kind of way in music without getting people all worked up. See, don't you wish for pre-internet days when you see things like this happening? I sure do. We got to leave it there. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.
This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.